Are you a woman leader in a nonprofit who has conversations about money, fundraising, budgets, and sometimes wonder why they go sideways or they don't feel good, or you wish you did better? Well, perhaps your money archetype is getting in the way. Today, we are talking to Jenny Mitchell, and she is going to tell us about our money archetypes. And stay tuned because you're going to hear all about my top two money archetypes, too. Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Jenny Mitchell works closely with nonprofit leaders to change the world one mission at a time. Her work through her business, Chavender, is really designed to help grow your understanding of fundraising, your money mindset, as we talked about. She coaches and mentors you through some of those financial conversations so that there are more people changing the world and doing good in the world. Let's transition into the show. Welcome to the show, Jenny. I'm so excited to talk to you about money and nonprofits. But before we dive into that, I mean, I've told people the the basic gist of who you are, but tell us about your journey into where you are today and then the work you do today. Oh, wow. All right. So everyone just sit back in your chairs, grab a cup of coffee because this (laughs) might take a while. So I started my my beautiful journey of my life, let's call it that, as a classical musician. Mm. I'm a piano player by trade. I loved school. I spent until I was 30-something in school. I And I just loved everything about music at the time and that idea of collaboration. When I was about 30, I had just finished my doctorate in piano performance, and I was working at a conservatory in Brooklyn, New York. And Kathy, they needed to raise some money for their pianos because their pianos were terrible in the concert hall. Was it, was it a nonprofit? Like a, <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was the Brooklyn Conservatory of Music in downtown Park Slope, if you happen to know where it is. And I walked into the development officer's room and I said, look, we got to do something. And she said, well, we'd have to raise some money. And I said, okay, so how do we fundraise? What, what do we do? And I was basically hooked. That's the short story. Fast forward, when my kids became came around and life changed, we moved back to Canada. And I fell into working for myself, actually, as a fundraising consultant. And again, what I found, I've, I've always been adapting to what I found and what I found the gap is in our sector. So, you know, I'd write these reports on fundraising assessments or audits, and I'd tell people what I thought could happen. I'd hand them the report, I'd, they'd put it on a shelf, and they'd say, thank you very much, and nothing ever changed. And yeah. so, Kathy, that really bugged me. I To the border of like, I, you know, I felt like it was a real disservice and I, I didn't want to be part of that kind of thing. So that's where the coaching came in and really coaching the staff who were always the bright lights, the leadership team, sometimes the development staff on how they could change the culture at their organizations. And to to finish that crazy journey that I, I told you you'd need a whole cup of coffee, <laughs> the last phase or the next phase, I guess I should say, as I close in on 50, I'm not there yet, but is taking that piece around executive coaching. I'm actually completing a certificate with that. And I'm just loving the coaching approach. And you and I had a wonderful conversation about how much we love being coaches. And so here I am. I don't know what 2021 brings, but that's Jenny's journey in a very short nutshell. I love that. And you know what? I think it fits with, you know, everybody else's journey as well. Most of us, not most of us, there's a lot of people who stumbled into the nonprofit world who have 
very eclectic backgrounds. And so you bring all of these different, unique personalities into the workplace. And I love you talked about culture because there's a whole, you know, there's an organizational culture, but where you're really focused is the fundraising and the money kind of culture, the mindset that we have around money. So you said, you know, people come in, they ask for your help. You do this wonderful report. I love it. It's like the strategic strategy mm-hmm. binder that's on the bookshelf. I mean, how many binders do we have on bookshelves in organizations that have not been touched in months or years? It's insane. So you do this wonderful report. What what goes on in your mind in organizations? Why do they resist actually doing what you suggest? Oh, gosh. Well, there's so many reasons. I mean, if I was to itemize them in no particular order, number one is just not the skills to be able to implement, whether that's resources or skills. I'm, I'm, there's kind of two buckets there. And then I think that the next one down is the will. In other words, they have to have the will to change and they have to be willing to put themselves out there and try new things, Kathy. And not every organization has that ability to adapt and change, especially when you're talking about I mean, usually not-for-profits are great about talking about themselves and talking about the work they do, but to show how that connects to a donor and how they can make a difference and really get themselves out of their comfort zones when many of them were not trained to ask or invite investment. I think that's really one of the biggest hurdles I saw. So it's safer to go down the same path that we're familiar with rather than try and adapt to new things. And I will add to that. I don't know if you've noticed this. But the fact that a lot of nonprofits are on annual cycles of contract renewal or renewed funding, there's this scarcity mindset. Like we just got to hold on to what we've got today and just get through and don't rock the boat kind of mentality. Yeah. And okay. So you, there's so many things there. Scarcity. You mentioned that word. Another word that I just hate is sustainability. And I don't mean I hate it. Like I hate the word. I mean that I'm not convinced there's such a thing as sustainability in the not-for-profit sector. And we can take that offline. And I'd love to hear comments from your listeners about that. (laughs) The reality of our funding models are we don't have like a cash cow that spits out money or a product that we sell. You know, I buy a car, Kathy, and then, you know, my car kind of dies. If I had a good experience, I go back to the car buyer and I buy another car. You know, not-for-profits aren't like that. And so it's really hard for sometimes I find for business people to get their heads around this concept of it has to be sustainable. The the financial model has to be viable. I'm like, yes, in a perfect world. And absolutely, we need to expand our revenue opportunities and sources. I think that's where social enterprise is really kind of changing things up. I love it. But yeah, sustainability is kind of one of my bugaboos. And the scarcity mindset, which permeates, I would challenge majority of not-for-profits. There's some that I really admire, but it gets in your bloodstream and it starts to color your vision. Oh my gosh, can I buy the 30 cent pen? I better not spend that extra 30 cents for the one I want. I got to stick with the five cent blue pen, you know, and then like it sort of starts to you carve out, oh gosh, can I get them for this salary? Do I have to ask them for this? And the whole scarcity mindset starts to, you know, (laughs) famous quote, you can't cost save your way to growth. Okay, I got to go back because I was just uh, reliving a very stressful conversation with my team at a staff meeting where I'm like, we can only order the big pens, you guys. And they're like, but Kathy, they suck. And I'm like, but that's all that's in the budget. If you want a fancy pen, feel free to go buy your own pen but we can't afford that. <laughs> it's like, and so, it caused tension. 
Yeah. Well, Kathy, the translation is you're not worth yes. a good pen. That's actually what's happening. Say that again, Danny. You, you're not actually worth the big, the bigger pen, the better pen. Uh, yeah. And so that starts to get into your bloodstream. And this is where I think the work around money mindset is so powerful for not-for-profit professionals, yeah. whether you're in fundraising or in a leadership role or wherever. And, you know, I'm... I talk here from a very personal place also. I'd be happy to share with you kind of my discovery of this as an aha. And maybe the first light bulb went out when I went out. <laughs> the first light bulb went on when I worked with a business coach and she introduced us to this idea of money archetypes. And, you know, I'm an academic. I have three degrees. I'm like, what's this money archetypes? Yada, yada stuff. Well, I did the assessment and we're going to talk about your assessment in a minute. And I was like, holy cow, like, how did they know, right? Like these raw, <laughs> my bank account? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like raw experience of, oh my gosh, that they actually know me and this is me. And so then I started exploring it more and actually got the certification myself. And uh, so I am a certified money archetype assessment person. And it's helped me start a lot of different money conversations with not-for-profit leaders. And I work, use it in my coaching as well. Just as like we talk about lenses in coaching, another lens, another another angle, another perspective for them to think through. Yes. And I have done my money archetype assessment. And so listeners, just be gentle with me as Jenny will be as well. But I think it's important. So in the work that I do, I'm constantly working with my leaders to say, you need to get inside your brain and you need to get a handle on your thoughts, your feelings, talk about your body sensations. Lots of the training in my membership site is around sort of slowing down and doing some of that mm. self-reflective work. This is a powerful tool that helps you do that. And, and so when you stop and look at what am I thinking about money? How is that showing up in my conversation about big pens? How is that showing up in my conversation with, you know, donors, contractors, you know, all of it, it becomes the opportunity for you to remove some of the blind spots. I think in leadership, we often have a lot of blind spots. And we're like, I'm good. It's everybody else. And yeah. It's actually like, mm. or the other, the other powerful one that I think is true is it's just the sector. You know, there's nothing we yeah. can do. It's just the way it is in the nonprofit world, yeah. but it yeah. may not be. So yeah. let's dive into okay. these, these archetypes and my archetypes. So just for those of you that are listening, Kathy has completed a, a little assessment quiz. I think it was like three or four pages and it had questions like, I wish I, I love to give generously to charities or, you know, I believe that carrying debt is a good thing or a bad thing. So these sort of statements, right, Kathy? Yep. Oh, yes. Hold on though. Can the listeners also get access to this? Cause as they listen to it, they're going to be like, I want to do that. That's true. So you could probably find a basic assessment somewhere on the Google end. If you'd like to have the assessment and an actual analysis of it, that is actually something I do. And I'd be delighted to do for your, for your community. And we will Make sure the link is that. in the notes so people can do that. Yeah, so yes, absolutely. You can do this as well. All right. Yeah. And cool. Because it will create a lot of curiosities, I think. So, yes. so Kathy, we, your top two, so there are eight different archetypes. Would it be worth, maybe I'll just quickly go quickly through go them. Through. Yeah. And then I'll come back to you if that's all right. So in no particular no, don't order. Don't tell them what mine are until they I won't. Start, they're going to be guessing. I won't. 
Okay, so I'll give you the eight and in no particular order. And I just want to highlight there are no bad archetypes. They are different ways of showing up in the world. And they really encapsulate your, your relationship with money. So the accumulator is the inner banker. And that is the person that loves money, loves being around money, feels safe when there's money in the bank account. The alchemist, you know, the famous book, The Alchemist, is somebody who truly believes in ideas and concepts we call them the, we call them the the inner idealist and they love they're kind of have a love hate relationship with money they're kind of irritated that money exists they see the value of it but ideas are what's most important to them the maverick you can imagine what that is they're the ones that love to go out on a limb and try things out and you know, they're the ones that you always want to pitch a pilot project to mm-hmm. um, and sometimes for them just the tried and true rules of investing are the, the hardest part actually the celebrity, you can imagine what this is. The celebrity loves to enjoy good things and in general likes to wear them, uh, celebrate them. And it's sort of a, a sign of success for them. And they really revel in this experience. The connector, I find we end up with a lot of connectors, a lot of nurturers in the not-for-profit sector. So the connector believes in the value of relationships. So They're the kind of person who will automatically uh, gravitate to like marketing people that never market and all they do is word of mouth. They tend to be connectors, right? Right. They see value in money through quality, honest, trustworthy relationships. The nurturer, we also see a lot of in not-for-profits. The nurturer is somebody who really wishes they had enough money to give to all the causes that they that they could. They see money as a way of helping almost to a fault and have, you know, sometimes don't think of other ways they could support besides money. And ironically, one characteristic of nurturers that's very interesting is they tend to have really good relationships with money, Kathy. Okay. It's just that they they also, they because they live very frugally and very simply because money's not important to them. But, they're, but what happens is they get caught up in these relationships where they're sharing or supporting someone else or codependent complex relationships. Oh, yes. So there you go. So if you need um, to borrow money, go talk to one of them. That's right. If you need to borrow money, go find a nurturer. Yep. Um, they're busy trying to put up boundaries, right? That's their, their goals. And again, it's just like making those shifts to finding balance. That's a great way of putting it. The romantic is the person that will spend the money for the tickets to that amazing concert that's only coming through once every 10 years, right? And they don't care what the ticket price is. Um, because they want the experience. The romantic is all about experience. Uh, sometimes it's food, sometimes it's travel. They want to enjoy the good things and they believe that money should be there to support them to do that. And then the last one I have here is the ruler. And the ruler is, I always joke, I have a couple of ruler clients. You know, They're interested in world domination, but that, that doesn't sound quite right. What they're interested in is that everybody thrives in this world and they're completely empowered. So you'll find rulers as heads of large corporations because they have this natural gift to help people uh, thrive and empower people within their empire. So they like processes, they like systems, they want people to go out and just succeed, but also huge pressure on them too. So, you know, a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility. Being joyful with their money is not an easy thing for a ruler. Grace and ease, I think, is their part of their their money, their money alignments discussion. Okay. Okay. So you said, which are the two that are typical in nonprofits? Well, in my experience... I've seen a lot of connectors, so the relationship people, the nurturers, which are the inner responsible people. I do find there's dabblers in the alchemist, 
which is the idealist part as well. Right. Those would be my top three, I would say. And then, so one of the things that you talk to them about is these, this is your money archetype, but then the donor or the funder has a different archetype. Why is it important right. to figure out right. that connection? Well, for example, like I'm an alchemist, so I can share that right away. So I'm one of those people that believes in ideas and concepts. I have this wonderful creative gift for, for making money. That's one of the special gifts I have. And But I kind of hate, resent the fact that I have to make money and have like, it's, it's almost like a, a good evil kind of thing. Yeah. If I go in to pitch to an accumulator, okay, if I go in with big vision and pictures and possibilities and scope, the accumulator is going to say, I mean, that's all just whatever. Show me the budget. How much is this going to cost? What are the impact? How many people are you going to serve? Right? Mm. Completely different money archetypes, approaches to money and, and translation approaches to how they give charitably. And I think accumulators in particular get a really bad rap sometimes because we kind of, that's the one we come back to our office and go, oh, they totally didn't get me. Da, 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 da. But if you look at it, if you look at their profile, you would prepare a completely different way. Mm. Yes. Give it an example of how you would prepare differently. Well, so I, if I was preparing from an accumulator, I would start with impact. Actually, I would start with, you know, where we wanted to get to and how it was going to make a real meaningful difference. And then I would work backwards to show them a revenue and expenses budget, not like detail, detail, but to show how it was good value for their money. Accumulators are always the ones that ask about overhead. Okay. Not because they want to be mean, not because they're trying to dis, like disarm you, but because it's a core value of theirs. That's what I love about these is it, for me, it creates a sense of empathy or compassion for where the person's coming from, right? Yeah. Oh, they're not just being a jerk and trying to throw me off my game. Maybe that was my old mindset, right? But my new mindset is, oh, this is, this is worthwhile remembering. They really care how we're spending donors money. How can I show them? that this project has value and is worth investing in. So, yeah. You know, one of the things that I do in my membership is I really get people to, to stop and look at their values. And one of the challenges we have is that whenever we have a difficult conversation with someone, it's often because our values are in conflict. So I think that's part of this conversation is we've, it's not that we don't both value money. It's, it's a little bit different. So if somebody's valuing sustainability yeah. versus, you know, ingenuity, yeah. they both value money, but they value it differently. And so we need to come back and look at our own values. But then, yeah, I mean, you're guessing other people's, but there's a lot of clues. You bet. And here's a great example that will resonate with many of your listeners. How many of you out there listening have an endowment that sits with a pile of money in it? <laughs> And so how does that make you feel as a leader? Because usually people land on one of two camps when they have a big honking endowment. One is they're delighted because it means stability, security, and they can they can pay their annual operations. Sometimes they're, which I don't recommend, by the way, because it sets up a paradigm where you're only ever spending the, the, the interest off of your endowment. And it creates this scarcity mentality if we can only grow that much. Right. So some people love it. They're the accumulators, right? Yeah. And some people hate it because they feel disingenuous going out to a donor to ask for money when there's this whole pot sitting there, just donor dollars. Why are we not going out and spending this in the community? 
So I just had a revelation as the other piece around this is you may be the ED who has one archetype and your board chair has another one and there's another. Oh, wow. Okay. So let's talk about. Are you ready? Okay. Drum roll, drum roll, please. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I always ask about the top two about how far apart they are in points, because sometimes I find people's family values show up. So what they were raised in or they're in transition. So you are, Kathy, an accumulator Mm -hmm. with a second as an alchemist. So we share that you and I, the alchemist. Oh, interesting. And so I wanted to just share with you some of your strengths as as an accumulator. You are conscientious. You are trustworthy. You are disciplined. You have a knack for saving easily, which is a very special gift. So don't ever... And you might assume that everybody saves like you, right? And so that's been really interesting with these money archetypes is we don't talk a lot about money. So we assume everybody saves like us, right? So saving easily, you are uh, good at creating financial independence. That's a core value of yours. Accumulators tend to like freedom and choice. And then finally, your other gift is being financially responsible. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah, that sounds like me. Feels pretty good. Okay. (laughs) So here's, here's your empowering money mindset. So every one of these profiles has like a, what if we grew bigger? How could we continue to follow our path around money mindset? And so your empowering money mindset is say yes to opportunities because opportunities create wealth. Hmm. So may I ask, seeing as how we're doing a sort of mini coaching here, you're being very gentle. Do you have trouble spending money on things like making big investments, perhaps in your business or in some places? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think sometimes when I think about that, it depends on the type of investment. So again, this comes back to values. So let's, let's talk about business for a moment. If I'm going to invest in ongoing personal and professional development, I much easier for me to make that decision. Yep, I am a lifelong learner, top value. If I'm going to invest in support staff, mm, yeah, you know, maybe not. Uh, Technology, I am a Mac girl, love my technology. But (laughs) I hold back. And so often it's my husband who's like, you need a new computer. Interesting. We should get his archetype done. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so as I finish with your assessment, if we were, if we had a bit more time, I'd kind of go into some probing questions and um, there's some wonderful prompts there, but I actually often encourage people to check what their husband is or what their partner or spouse yeah. is, because you can see a lot of the tensions showing up. Your, your bottom one, Kathy, is a ruler. And so I always keep an eye on what the bottom one is as well, because those will be the ones that like you're talking about values that will stick out to you or be like, what the, Yeah. why does that person bug me? Or what is it about that that bothers me? So, you know, just keeping an eye on, on the ruler concepts and I'll just read you. Yeah. So if I look at it, the ruler is illuminating the, illuminating the desire to achieve. And the idea there is with a ruler, so you are less interested in jumping a hurdle just because it's a hurdle. You're less interested in, you know, making things difficult for yourself or challenging, not challenging yourself, but like creating an empire, like the burden of that. You're, you're, you're much more interested in, in, in working with the money you have. All the alchemists will come in with your new ideas and the breath of fresh air and the engagement around that. So that would be like a mini archetype assessment for you. I love that. 
Thank you. And I love what you did there at the end where you brought in the bottom one. So Mm -hmm. often I will do the virtues in action character strengths with people and it is free. You can go do that. And it looks at your character traits and what I'll do with them when I look at it is look at their top five, but I'll look at the bottom one. Yeah. So zest is one of the character traits Mm -hmm. that is most highly correlated with success, achievement, and happiness. Zest is energy and enthusiasm for life. If that falls at the bottom of your list, A, you have zero energy. You're probably being a workaholic. You're not balancing work life at all, but at the detriment of your success and happiness. And yet most of the women I work with, it's just like, I just want to be happy in my job. But when was the last time you went for a walk? You know, like, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And then the other one is when I do the values with people, I love what you just said there the triggers. So where do you get angry? Because where you get angry will highlight a value that's being stepped on. And so I, you know, I'm going to go back and look at that bottom one again, because I'm, that's my journaling activity for the year is noticing my triggers. And so, yeah, where did I get triggered around money or this mindset? And, and oftentimes Mm -hmm. I will notice somebody else and I'm like, well, they're just trying to get ahead. Or like, there you you go, right? Like I, I, as you were saying that, I'm like, oh, because that is at the bottom of my list. Yeah. So my bottom of my list is celebrity. So I cannot understand why somebody would want a fancy new car, for example. Like I have, and so when that car pulls up, I immediately start judging all sorts of things. When you talk about triggers, right? which may or may not be true. And so those money beliefs, just a broad net of archetypes, those money beliefs are formed by the time we're seven or eight years old, right? Like these are clearly things learned around the kitchen table. And so when I work with fundraisers or leaders, you know, if you make the assumption that the money isn't possible or you don't know where the money's going to come from, then you tell the universe that the universe is not going to bring you it on a silver platter. And so some of the, like one of the core messages I remember growing up around the table was, you know, Jenny, Rich people get rich because they save their money, not because they spend their money. Ah, yes. So imagine me as a young fundraiser trying to go out to invite an investment from a very wealthy person. My assumption bucket, my framing bucket is they're rich because they hold on to their money. They're never going to give me any of this. Right, right. Yes, yes. And so, and the other, the other way you come into fundraising, or if, if those of you listening have some young staff, right, and you're seeing behaviors, you know, they can't imagine making a $500 gift. That's their entire uh, rent for the month, right? right? <laughs> so like, let alone a $500,000 gift. And so I can't kind of call it decoupling yourself from your own personal money anchors. Yes. You know, when I was growing up, Ikea furniture and a desk for 150 bucks was a heck of a lot of money, you know? And so we we up-level to these new money anchors in our lives. And I find with not-for-profits, we have to up-level at the same time, you know, get our heads around. I often will talk about just walking around the office going, I can't wait till that next $25,000 gift comes. I can't wait till that next $25,000 gift comes because we have to normalize it in our bodies before we can let it happen. I don't know. Does this relate to leadership and and how? Oh, totally. It totally relates to leadership because I think, I think one of the things that we forget about is that that underlying current of financial mindset plays a huge role. I mean, like I say, that creates tension in a staff meeting when you're talking about what kind of pens to buy. But a, a couple of other things, I interviewed Mallory Erickson on the podcast this week, and she 
is a coach that helps fundraise as well. And what she was talking about just when you were saying that is about values is we have a set of values that we were born with that we didn't choose. And they're different than the ones we choose. And so again, we have to come back to, are these the values that I chose? Or, you know, is it I should do that because people make money, get rich by saving money? Do I actually, do I want to own that value still? So that's one thing. And then Heather was on the podcast months ago. And she talked about courageous money conversations. Mm-hmm. So I'll link both of these podcasts below as well, because I think you'll people will find this theme. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. mindset. And that's the piece that I'm constantly coming back and teaching, yep. whether you're talking about a difficult conversation where you're supervising a staff or yep. you're, you know, expanding programs or, you know, yep. fundraising, it's all around mindset. Yep. And, and so we really have to come back and do that work. And this is a perfect tool Where's your money Absolutely. triggers? Yeah. So I grew up in a family of accumulators. My, I have a on my I have a YouTube channel called Money and Mindset at Forty Plus with a long, long time girlfriend of mine. We joke we're two musicians that you know music was not a great money achieving career. So now we have a podcast about it. <laughs> um, but we have my sister and I. My sister comes on the show. Same house, same story. Should be completely different money experiences. So she is an accumulator. She loves seeing that money in her bank account. She's an investment investor. She invests, not my story, not my experience. And so I've really enjoyed these archetypes to, to, like you said, is this true about me? Do I really, I don't love, it's not that I don't love just for a point of reference, because you're an accumulator. It's not that I don't love having money in my bank account. It just is like, but if you ask me to save for something that I really, really want or something I believe in, like First of all, alchemists are wonderful donors, just because mm-hmm. if you give them something to look forward to or something they can get excited about, they will save so they can make that extraordinary gift. But the minute you put a project in front of me, I see money as opportunity and potential. So when I think of money and when I did a money, I did a, I have a money meditation that I do with clients where I ask them to imagine themselves walking along with money. And what I experienced in that was I actually see the Taj Mahal and it's not because it's the Taj Mahal. It's because it's this beautiful building that's Mm -hmm. shining and that's showing the potential of what one person can do with money. And then, so then I just like, once you put it in front of me, I have a funny story about my kitchen where I wanted to save for my kitchen. And once I decided I was like, I was the most spendthrift person you've ever seen. (laughs) Because you had a vision. I had a vision. My kids would come down the stairs like, mom, there's no food. Like what's going on? Like we're getting a new kitchen. We're getting a new kitchen. Oh, that's funny. I'll add one story because I sent it out. It's actually my blog post this week. So I grew up on a farm and my dad had the mentality that he was a dumb farmer. He, neither him or my mom have high school educations. Brilliant man, smart businessman, like, you know, did a lot of neat things. So that mindset, plus the mindset where, you know, my mom sewed our jeans for us. When everybody else was getting Oreo cookies, my mom was home-baked cookies. And people would trade me for my home-baked cookies. Home-baked donuts were like the thing. And I'm like, I just want Oreos and pudding. Like, how come I can't have the Oreos and pudding, right? And so you bring that into leadership. And I had this mindset that I, I didn't fit in the leadership role. So we would go for business dinners at high-end restaurants. 
I couldn't order wine. I didn't know which utensils to use. I felt stupid and apt. You know, I felt like, you know, the hick. And so it all comes into play in your leadership. So if you think that this doesn't apply, eh, slow down and do a little bit of reflection. You might find some places where it shows up. Yeah, I love that story. It's so true. And and you, you started the, the our discussion about blind spots. And so I love that. It's like, oh, so that might be one of my blind spots, right? And uh, I have a lovely story about a, a young woman who grew up we always have this push and pull between rural and urban, who's more charitable or, you know, all that stuff. And she grew up in a, a rural, she shared this story of a rural community where the wealthiest people in the community, often who are farmers, were very generous. Mm-hmm. And so she came to the big city assuming that all wealthy people were generous and was quite surprised when they weren't. So again, mindset yes. and what you've experienced. Last thing is maybe just making sure that your sample size is big enough. Is this <laughs> true? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wonderful discussion. I hope people reach out and ask you to do their money mindset because I think it's a powerful tool. So, you know, last thoughts, what what do you want to leave people with? Well, if you're listening to this thinking, I, I feel like there's something here, you know how you kind of know it in your gut. And uh, I know I knew it in my gut, like, this is a door that could really help me grow exponentially, right? Start tracking or logging like you said your triggers or your your ticker tape around certain things because that is really the door to growth the minute you notice it it's if you're eternally changed just as we know as as coaches as leadership coaches and you know whether you have a chance to work with someone like you Kathy or myself for a deep dive that's wonderful but you can do a lot of this work as well just noticing your triggers observing things I challenge you especially as women open up a money conversation with your friends. Mm. You know, we never talk about what our mortgage rates are, right? Exactly. Like we, we don't do that stuff. And I think that sometimes men, when they're, they're at the hockey game or they're, you know, on the golf course, they talk about this stuff and they learn from each other. So we're so good at helping each other. Let's add that in. Let's add That's that an amazing in. idea. Yes. I think we do need to normalize money conversations. Thank you. Beautiful way to put it. Yeah. All right. Tell people where they can find you, Jenny. Okie dokie. So you can find me at chavender.com and I will explain that it's chavender with a C-H, like the word lavender, just to help you with the spelling. And I have a 21 amazing major gifts conversation starters that I think, Kathy, you're going to put in the link. I am. You'll get all these links in the show notes. Absolutely. Super duper. And just my email, uh, if you're interested in finding out more about money mindset assessment, it's jenny at chavender.com. And uh, yeah, my YouTube channel is money and mindset at 40 plus. And I love the 40 plus because I think that at this stage in our lives, there's a special relationship. It's not too late. If you're listening no. to this thinking, it's, it's not too late. It is not too late. And uh, the next 50, in my opinion, are going to be just epic for me, at least. Epic 50. <laughs> epic. Well, I hit 50 last year, so I am uh-huh. already looking forward to the epic and feeling the shift for sure. Thank you, Jenny, so much for being on the show. And for those of you listening, as Jenny said, do the work to identify your triggers. If you're looking for more help with that, reach out to Jenny. I have oodles of free guides on my website that help do the inner dive. And then inside of the membership site, the training library, there are tons of workshops or worksheets as well that help you really identify those. It's that inner work that transforms us as leaders and gets us out of survival mode and thriving in both our leadership and life. Go make the rest of your day awesome.
If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the training library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome. Awesome.